Well, if you've been here, you know for the last few weeks, we've been in a series called The Pursuit. And the basis for these sermons is Luke chapter 15, with the emphasis being on the parable of the lost son. Now, when most people study this parable, they concentrate on the wayward son and then the father's forgiveness. But as we've seen, the reality is that, that this story is about two boys who are alienated both from their father and who have both assaulted the father's heart. And so Jesus is telling this parable of the contrasting sons for the sake of the audience, for the sake of the people who are listening to him. Because, you see, in the crowd are tax collectors and sinners along with the religious Pharisees. One relating to the younger son and the other relating to the elder brother. Now, of course, you don't have to be a rocket scientist or a neurosurgeon to realize a son who shamed his father and left is the one who is spiritually lost. But Jesus really didn't tell this parable for the tax collectors and the sinners. You see, because they weren't the ones who were, were accusing him. The ones accusing him of eating with sinners were the religious Pharisees. So the main point in Jesus telling this story is to give us an understanding of what it means to be lost and who truly is lost in the eyes of God. Now, I'm sure most of you know the story. A young man asks his father for his inheritance. Surprisingly, the father gives the boy his request and divides his estate up between his two boys. A short time later, the younger son gathers all of his stuff and leaves home, and he squanders what his father gave him on, on riotous living. But then becoming destitute, the young son realizes what he's done. He decides to come back home and try to reconcile with his father. And as he's returning home, the father's watching for him. And, and from far off, the father sees him and runs to him and puts a new robe on his back, a new ring on his finger, and welcomes him back into the family. What a story of grace. But then we pick up the story at verse 25 of Luke 15. And the word of God says, Now his older brother was in the field. And as he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, the servant told him. And your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Verse 28, the older brother became angry, threw a little temper tantrum, pouted a little bit, and he didn't want to go in. And so his father comes out and pleaded with him. But the older brother replies to his father, Look, I have been slaving many years for you. I have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me so much as a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, when this son of yours who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughter the fatted calf for him. Son, the father says to him, you are always with me. You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. 
But we had to celebrate. We had to rejoice because this brother of yours who was dead is now alive again. He was lost, but now he is found. So when the scripture says that the father killed the fattened calf, which, by the way, was an extravagant delicacy in that day. The older son had to realize that his father had to be full of, of, of ecstatic joy. But yet, the older brother still refused to go into the biggest feast that his father has ever, had ever thrown. Forget the fact that his young brother was back home again. And it was a remarkable, deliberate act of disrespect against the father. And by his actions, the older brother was saying, hey... <laughs> I'm not going to be part of this family if he's included. See, the father went out to meet the younger brother and wrapped a robe around him. And he made his son aware of grace and invited him to the table of salvation. And now in the same way, the father goes out of the house to invite the elder brother to the same table of salvation. But yet this brother refuses to come in. Now, to get the full context of this story, you have to understand what Jesus was saying to his listeners. I mean, no one argued that the young brother, the younger brother, or the tax collectors and sinners who were listening needed to come to the table of salvation. But no one ever thought that the elder brothers, the Pharisees, could also be lost. See, the fact that the father went outside and pursued the elder brother told those listening that the elder son was as lost as the younger brother. And that shocked the crowd because Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, you may be religious, you may be righteous, but you are lost. And I am inviting you to the same table of grace that I invited the lover of prostitutes to. And so what kept the elder brother outside? Breaking his father's heart. You see, the dangerous thing about religious people is that, you know, when you first start talking about who is lost, their first thought is, hey, <laughs> don't look at me. You have got to be talking about someone else. Because obviously, you don't know my bio. I have been in church all my life. Matter of fact, my grandpa started this church. And besides that, hey, I'm a good guy. But you see, friend, that is the thought process that keeps us lost. So Jesus gives us insight as to why the older brother refused to come in. The elder brother says in verse 29, All these years I have been slaving for you and never, ever, on my worst day, disobeyed you. Same thing my sister used to tell my mom. Same thing, very same thing. But you see, you have to understand, the good son wasn't lost because of his disobedience. He was lost because of his faith in his obedience. It wasn't sin that was keeping him out. It was his own, own self-righteousness that was keeping him out. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't about religion or non-religion. It's not about morality or immorality. And to hear that astonished these religious people who were listening that day. And it also astonished the tax collectors and sinners. Because all of their life, all they had heard is that to follow God, that it is completely about following a religious code and ticking off all the religious boxes. 
It's about keeping a list of do's and don'ts. You see, the Pharisees didn't understand grace. They didn't understand obeying God out of love. Their understanding of God was all about duty and their concept, self-described concept of morality. And in telling this story, Jesus, Jesus is saying that the gospel of my kingdom isn't religion. It isn't morality. My kingdom is about grace. And so just as it was confusing to the people listening, perhaps it may be also confusing to you today. Because you're wondering, how in the world can I say that the older brother was lost because of his good behavior? All your parents say, I would give my left arm for my kid to be guilty of good behavior. No offense. I wasn't talking about you guys. You're like my sister. You never do anything wrong. But the thing is, sin is not only just breaking some rules. You see, you sin when you put yourself in the place of God as Savior, Lord, and Judge. And we're going to see that the older brother tried to gain control of his father by staying. And because he stayed, the older brother felt like he deserved at the place, a place at the table because he was good. And when the younger son, the sinner, was able to come back to the table without being good, it shattered the older brother's concept of why we're good in the first place. You see, the, brother felt like he, the older brother felt like that he earned that spot at the table because he was spotless with his good behavior. And so in reality, he was sinning. Now get this. The older brother was sinning because he was his own savior. In other words, it's me saving me. Many people have missed Jesus. They've missed grace. They've missed the gospel. They go to church for the wrong reasons. They read the Bible for the wrong reasons. They worship for the wrong reasons because they have a fear-based morality. We don't serve God because we truly love Him. We serve God because we're afraid of what will happen if we don't. The younger brother wanted the father's wealth, but not the father. So he broke the moral rules. But we also see that the elder brother wanted selfish control of the father's wealth as well. And he was very unhappy with the father wasting the robe, the ring, and the calf. But while the younger brother tried to get control by taking the father's stuff and leaving, the older brother tried to get control by staying home and being good. And because of that, the older brother felt like he had the right to tell his father what to do with his possessions. Because after all, he had obeyed him perfectly. And because of that, his father owed him. And so in this story, we see that there are two ways to try to become your own Savior and Lord in the Me Saving Me project. And we see one is by breaking all the rules, living how you want and doing it your way. And the other is by keeping all the rules, but yet expecting God to owe you something because you've been good. 
So what that means is if I can be so good that God has to answer all of my prayers and take me to heaven to boot, I may be looking to Jesus to be my helper, my reward, but I'm certainly not looking to him to be my savior. You see, this is the offense of the gospel. And so many people turn, to Christi- turn, so many people turn Christianity into a commendable works-based religion where we feel like God owes us something. Oh, it's getting good now. And in the process, we're becoming our own Savior by trusting in our own good works in order to hold God hostage. difference between a religious person and a true Christ follower is that a religious person obeys God to get control over God and to get things from God. While someone who's a true follower of Jesus Christ obeys just just to get God, just to love God, to please God, and to be able to draw closer to God. Let me show you what I mean. Missionary Elizabeth Elliot told this story. Suppose Jesus and his disciples were walking along one day and he tells them i'd like for each of you to carry a stone for me so peter picked up the smallest stone to carry so it wouldn't be such a burden for him to lug around well noontime comes around and so they stop and for lunch jesus turned the stone they'd been carrying into bread The disciples with the bigger stones obviously had a bigger lunch. And because Peter picked up a small stone, he only had a small sandwich. Well, after lunch, Jesus said again to to his disciples, hey, follow me, and I want you to carry another stone for me. (laughs) Well, Peter being a quick study, he goes and picks up a boulder and struggles to carry it on his shoulder shoulders but hey he's looking forward to dinner no no problem but when they arrive at their destination jesus says now everyone throw your stone in the stream i mean peter's angry he's mad he's confused and jesus sensing this asks the question peter who were you carrying the stone for Were you carrying it for me or were you carrying it for you? If you're really carrying it for me, does it really matter what I ask you to do with it? That's a question Jesus is asking you and me today. Are you in this for you? Or are you in this for me? You see, elder brothers expect their goodness to pay off. Elder brothers think that they can control the payoff by their performance. And that's why Jesus told this story. And you know, there are are degrees of the elder brother syndrome. Some go to church, they obey the Bible, but they do it completely out of expectations that God owes him something for their effort, and they have absolutely no concept of grace. 
But then much more common, I think, you have many Christians who know that it's, that it's only by grace that we're saved. But yet, we pray for things, we try to have faith for things, and when things don't go like we want, then we slide into an elder brotherish mentality, and we start and we default to the self-salvation through our good works, trying to earn what we're asking God for. And so what does an elder brother attitude look like? I don't know if it's like an elder sister attitude, but we're talking about elder brothers here. Well, first of all, there's a deep anger in their life. Verse 28 says the elder brother became angry and he refused to go in for the celebration. Elder brothers believe that God owes them a comfortable, good life if they try hard to live up to the standards. But when they try hard and it doesn't happen, then they get angry. They feel like their life ought to be going really well because, after all, they are towing the line. And when it doesn't go well, they become bitter at God. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let's get all the facts. You see, because Jesus Christ lived the greatest life that anyone could ever live. He was more moral, more just, more pure, but yet he suffered more terribly than any of us. And if we strive to be like Christ with Jesus as our pattern, then his pattern shows us that being the goat, the greatest of all time, doesn't guarantee a good life in return. Because after all, it was Jesus himself who said, in this world you will have tribulations. So let me break it down for you. People with an elder brother syndrome, or as I call it, EBS. You know, everything has initials today. You've got to have initials, you know. So elder brother syndrome, EBS. I mean, they feel like they've been good. They stayed at home when all of those lovers of prostitutes, when they left, I read the Bible, I went to church, I paid my tithe when it cost me dearly. Hey, I could have had a bass boat by now. But then someone in their family gets sick. And so they call, they, they call on God to heal their relative. And when the relative's not healed, they get angry at God because God didn't respond. And their response is just like the elder brother. God, I've done all these things for you. Why did my relative have to die? But what they're really saying is, I did all of these things for all of these years to get control over you, God. And when you didn't respond the way I wanted you to, now I am mad at you. Both. Same attitude. So the elder brother was really never serving God for God. He was serving God for himself, which means he was becoming his own savior and not trusting Jesus to be his savior. Have I got anyone's toes yet? Mine are bleeding, all five of them. I'm serious. Now, don't be mad at me, or you might be an elder brother. Now, another characteristic of EBS, elder brother syndrome, 
is a joyless mechanical obedience. Verse 29 says, hey, I've been slaving for you. The elder brother has, has obeyed God as a means to an end. And the end is to satisfy their own wants. And so really they're only serving God to get the things that they really love. Now anyone who's served Christ for any length of time at all know obedience to God can sometimes be hard. But elder brothers aren't in obeying out of joyful love. They're obeying the Father out of joyless duty. And they're hoping beyond hope that's going to earn them something in the end, whether it's heaven or healing or financial blessing or whatever. And when things go bad, they're bitter, or, or if they're not bitter, they're thinking, oh my goodness, what have I done to make God mad at me? It's because their relationship with God is joyless. It's mechanical. You know, studies have shown that when we travel at a safe rate of speed, there are, there are less traffic accidents, and therefore there are fewer fatalities on the road. Well, since we know that's true, why do we need traffic police? Since that's the truth, it's been proven, why do we need traffic cops? If slowing down will save lives, shouldn't that knowledge be enough? No, because we do what we want to do and we want to speed. But, but, when there's a chance that a radar gun is pointing at you, most of the time, most of the time, unless there's a shoe sale at Dillard's, most of the time, it'll keep the pedal off the metal. Am I telling the truth? Traffic police produce a fear-based morality. And so we really don't slow down to save lives. We slow down out of the fear of getting a ticket and it costing us $225. And that's the same way with elder brothers. In church, morality born out of fear does nothing to root out the real cause of evil in the world. The real cause of evil in the world is the extreme self-centeredness of my heart and your heart. And when I obey God out of fear of what God is going to do or not do to me, then I am not rooting out the selfishness of my own heart. I'm actually strengthening the selfishness in my heart because the only reason that I'm obeying is for selfish gain. Spitting all over the place up here. One time, a, a poor gardener, 
I think Spurgeon is the one who came up with this story. One time a poor gardener came to the king and gave him a beautiful carrot. It was the largest carrot in the kingdom, and the gardener laid it at the king's feet as a sincere gift. Well, the king, seeing the sincerity of the man's gift and his gardening skill, said, you know, I own a garden next to yours, and I would like to hire you to take care of my garden as well. What a happy ending, right? So one of the noblemen in the king's court hears about this. And so he brought one of his most prized black stallions to the palace. And he says, King, this is the best stallion in the kingdom. He has won so many awards and trophies, and I give it to you. Well, the king didn't get to be the king by being an idiot. He's wise. So he looked at the nobleman and said, the gardener was giving me the carrot. But you are giving yourself the horse. Have we truly fallen in love with Jesus? Or do we just want his stuff? You see, the grace of God has invited all of us to the table. And our invitation is not based on how hard we work. And if that offends you because you work so hard, note to self, EBS. You know, my dad grew up in a holiness culture that was top-heavy with restrictions and rules, no seams in your hose, no movies, no Coca-Cola, nothing like that. But you see, if we live our lives by only a code of restrictions and standards, we're going to miss the true gospel of Jesus Christ in the process. The gospel of Jesus says whether you keep the codes and meet the standards or you don't, we're still all invited to the table. Now, you can't keep living the way you were living when you were living in the pigsty. But you're still invited to the table. And the fallacy is when you try to meet the standard, the fact is that you can't. Because we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Our best moral day won't move the scale one bit. So sadly, there are some of us who have served God all of our lives, but making our Christian journey about me saving me because we're trying to do it on our own, in our own abilities, in our own talents. And we never, ever stop long enough to truly put our trust in the only God who can save us from ourselves. There's also a coldness to the elder brother types. Verse 30 says, this son of yours, this son of yours. Can you, can you hear him saying it? This son of yours. He wasn't even willing to claim his own brother. You see, elder brothers pride themselves in their doctrinal and moral purity. And so this obviously leads him to feel superior 
to those who don't live up to the standards. They have this misconception that their sin could never be as bad as your sin. You show me a Christian who has a degree of prejudice in their hearts to some group of people, and I'll show you a person who has a cold, hard heart. And I question whether the love of Jesus is in that heart. And the final sign of the elder brother's attitude is an unforgiving and judgmental spirit. I mean, the older brother doesn't even want his father to forgive his brother. But you see, that goes right along with it because it's impossible to forgive someone if I feel that I would never be as bad as they are. I could never be as guilty of doing what they did. So I'm justified in my self-righteousness. And the elder brother refuses to forgive. So what do we do about these characteristics? Well, first of all, we have to see the uniqueness of the gospel. You see, Jesus ends the parable with the older brother also being lost to show, the, to show everyone there that the attitude of the elder brother is actually a more dangerous spiritual condition than that of the younger son. Because, I mean, the young brother knew that he was alienated from the father. He's the one who came to himself. But you see, the older brother didn't realize he was alienated from the father. And listen to me, if you try to tell religious people who try to be good and try to obey the Bible just so that God will bless them, that they are alienated from God, most of the time, most of them will get offended. How dare you talk to me that way? I'll have you know. But here's the thing. (laughs) If you know you're sick, you go to the doctor, right? But if you don't, You just wither away and die. Elder brothers don't like to be told they've missed the mark. You see, elder brother theology works on the principle that I obey, therefore God accepts me. While the true gospel of Jesus Christ works on the principle that I am accepted by God through the work of Jesus Christ, therefore I enjoy obeying. Did you get that? The elder brother philosophy is I obey, therefore God accepts me. But the gospel according to Jesus is I am accepted by God through the work of Jesus Christ, therefore I enjoy obeying. I'll carry the stone any place he wants me to carry it. And yet both types of people sit in church together, both pray, both obey the Ten Commandments, but they do it for radically different reasons and they produce radically different results. You see, one produces anger, joyless compliance, superiority, insecurity, and a condemning spirit. While the other slowly but surely produces commitment, contentment, joy, humility, and a forgiving spirit. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful and guard against falling into religiosity, it's so much easier to fall into the elder brother theology. And that's why so many people have rejected 
the church, thinking that it's just a bunch of rules. Secondly, not only do we need to understand the uniqueness of the gospel, but we need to understand the sincerity of Jesus. I mean, remember, he's speaking to tax collectors and sinners and Pharisees. I mean, Jesus is there talking to the Pharisees, the very ones he knows will eventually kill him, and he's telling them, you are also lost, but you are also invited to the table. But they misunderstood God's grace. They misunderstood the reason for Jesus coming to earth, and they trampled on the heart of God. That's the message of the parable. The father went out of the house for the Pharisees just as he went out of the house for the younger son. He's challenging them, but he's challenging them with a, with a, a, a word that is wrapped in a plea to get forgiveness. He's saying you can't be your own savior. You're moral, you're good people, but your motives are wrong, and you need to quit trying and start trusting in me. See, remembering what Jesus did for us, how far he had to reach down to scoop us out of the miry clay, remembering all of that will drain us of our self-righteousness because we have no righteousness. It's all by the grace of God. And what that means is we are so sinful that Jesus had to die for us, but he loved us so much that he was glad to die for us. That really should take away both our pride and our fear, which makes us elder brothers. Friday was Valentine's Day, the day we celebrate love. And, and being a man, each year Starla gets me something that she knows I like. Yeah. 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 She gets me tools. What were you thinking about? Oh, man. You got a lot of younger brothers here. I'm just saying. <laughs> but every year on Valentine's, I take the time, and I sit down, and I write Starla a love letter. Yeah, yeah. Now, hey, don't, don't misunderstand. I always appreciate my wife. <laughs> my wife is truly, truly the better half of me, and I love her dearly. But when I take the time to actually slow down, to think about it, to remember and I remember what she means to me. I remember how she takes care of me. I remember how she supports me. I remember all that she's done for me. And when I take the time to do that, it rekindles the power and the depth of the first love I felt for her when I very first fell in love with her. And I am sure that when the boys in this parable were younger, they both loved their father deeply and respected him highly. But as time went on, we see that they lost that love and that respect. Yes. And every person who's in this room who professes to be a Christ follower 
When you first came to Jesus and the burden was lifted and the guilt vanished and the heartache disappeared, if Jesus would have asked you to carry a stone, you would have gladly carried it anywhere just so you could walk with Jesus. But as time passes and life takes its toll, just as it can happen in earth relationships, we can lose our first love with our Heavenly Father. that's what the Father is asking each of us to do today. He's inviting us to the table to rekindle our first love for Him. Bow your heads with me if you would. Let's all, let's all let God search our hearts this morning. You see, because both brothers are represented here in some way. Now, there may be some younger brothers here. And you need to come to Christ today to receive forgiveness for, for your sins. And I can promise you that he will take you just like you are. And his love will change you from the inside out. And you may, someone else may be here today and you carry a irresolvable guilt. Because you started down the journey before. Maybe several times, but, but, but you failed the father and you just can't get away from the guilt. And, and so, and so you, Satan is bombarding you with the fact that God's given up on you. Nothing could be further from the truth. Listen, God loves you. He loved you and died for you before you ever sinned. And he knew what you were going to do and how many times you were going to do it. But yet he went to the cross anyway. And then, quite possibly, there's a good chance that there are older brothers here also. And the reason I know that because there have been many times that I have been guilty of having elder brother characteristics. There have been many times when, when out of the hardness of my heart, I refuse to forgive. Just being honest with you, there's many times when I have been guilty. And so as the Holy Spirit deals with us, today we need to be asking Him, Lord, have, have my motive been wrong? Have I served you for all 
the wrong reasons. Today, let's accept the Father's invitation to grace, which is a salvation that we cannot earn on our own. Would you stand with me? Elders, would you come to the front? And as they come, let me bow your heads and let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will speak to the religious and the non-religious. To the moral and the, and the immoral alike. Father, teach us. Teach us about your grace. Father, I pray today that you would change each and every one of us from the inside out. Lord, I pray that you would overwhelm us with your love and, and that we could rest in that love and not in our own efforts. Lord, I pray these things in the precious name of your son, Jesus.